Podcast of the cinema. Who are you? I am Alonzo Veraldi, a film critic at The Wrap, uh, co-host of several other podcasts. You are what is what, what are you doing? I don't know. You're Dave White, uh, also a film critic at The Wrap. We're married. We do this show together, and I'm here to critique your intro style. Mm, great. In addition to cinema, but my my. My harshest uh, verdicts are for your intro style. Mm-hmm. I'll let you know when Ooh, you're... Ooh, sigh. Give him your attention. I'll let you know when it's good enough. <laughs> <laughs> it's been 12 years. It's not getting any better. Oh, I think it's gotten much better. I suppose. Just in general. I mean, the show itself. Sure. Why not? I remember, remember <laughs> the first, like, two months where... <laughs> We couldn't even figure out how to get the sound to come out of more than one channel. So anyone who was listening on a headphone. It was all the left side. It was like all the left side. Yeah. yeah. Can you imagine people who listened that first <sighs> eight weeks? They were like, these guys how, don't even know what they're how doing. How we not drive them all away? <laughs> who knows? Um, you feeling up to it? You feeling good? You feeling fresh? You feeling clean? You feeling... I'm a, like I'm a little wore you per- out. You perky? You perky? Perky? No. What? No. The pool's getting to you, isn't it? It's the pool will do it. Yeah, we've been going to. We we have a new pool. <laughs> and by we, I mean the city of our, West Hollywood. Our, our palatial estate, <laughs> uh, West Hollywood. We own West Hollywood. We're the kings, of course, of yes. West Hollywood. Um, we have a new pool. It's gigantic. No, you can't come and swim in it. Unless you live in West Hollywood. It's ours. Honestly, you know, you don't even have to be a resident. Uh, I think you can just show up. Yeah, you have to show up. You, you don't get the resident. You can't make a reservation, I don't think. Oh, really? Because I was talking to somebody who is a swimmer and was very excited about the idea of of swimming lane reservations. Yes. And she was trying to do it, and then it was like, oh, sorry, you don't live in West Hollywood. <laughs> okay, all right, that doesn't make sense. There are like 36 people who live in West Hollywood. Well, and that's West where we Hollywood, all get a pool. As a municipality, yes. all right, I don't think a lot of people really understand. It's, a, ge- it's an unincorporated... The geography. No, some, it's incorporated. I thought it was an... Un- I don't even know what the difference is between incorporated and unincorporated, <laughs> but we are our own city yes. within Los Angeles. Yes. And we are the size of a parking lot. Kind of. And so... But we have our own mayor. We have our own city council. Yeah, yeah everything. Yeah. Um, the... Uh, but yeah, there's not... I mean, there aren't a lot of people. Population, compared to the population of the greater Los Angeles area. Oh, well, of course. It's tiny. We're a teeny tiny little... I mean, they, they, they built this city on gay. In and, the, and rock and roll. In the mid-80s. It was like, you know what? We're fed up with straight people trying to ruin our lives all the time. We're going to make our own little town. Yeah. And, well, not we, I wasn't here for that. But like, we would prefer the LA Sheriff's Department to LAPD. Thank you very much. Whatever that difference is, probably not much. Good luck finding it. I, um, love the fact that during the pandemic, they, they obliterated the municipal pool. Yeah. And made it super awesome. Fancy. And in the sky. Yeah. Um, so were you talking about is were you talking about Drea? Drea well, wanted to wasn't gonna yes, come but she lap yes, swim. She wanted to come lap swim and tried to make a reservation. It was like, Oh, I'm sorry. You're not a resident. So you can't make a reservation if you're not a resident. You can drop in though. I guess, yes. But I think right. the reservation part she was was what she was kinda of jazzed about. Um, well, you know, show up early enough. I bet the that's pretty empty. Probably. At like, you know, 7 a.m. or whenever they open. I don't know what kind of clock she keeps. We're there bright and early, 9.30 in the morning. Mm-hmm. 
for the water fitness class. Yes. Us and the the other very old people. Yes. And it takes it out of you. It really does. <laughs> it, it It is deceptive exercise because you're in a pool. Yeah. You're not sweating. No. Because you're in a pool. You don't even feel winded. Like, mm. you don't even feel like you're... Like you're really chugging, 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 but you are. are. And it's the, like the opposite of hot yoga. It's, <laughs> it's cool aerobics in that you're, you know, you're in a pool of water. So right. you're never like, you're right. never overheating or whatever, but. Whew. But it's also these little weights that, yeah. are, that aren't weight. They, they weigh nothing. But under but, the water. But they are, they are resistance yeah. weights that you hand in your hands. And so like you're, you're doing resistance weight work as well. Yeah, you're pushing against um, the weight of the water. I, this is all I have. <laughs> this is all I have left in the world. Uh, no, it's all I have that is easy enough, and by easy I mean not painful. On your hips. On my hips and legs while I wait for my hip replacement surgery. And I generally and despise exercise, but you I do. don't despise this. No. Uh, so you, you, you are very nice to chaperone me, help me with getting in and out of like swim shoes and things. And, um, since I can, I can no longer bend over, um, the hips are not, uh, functioning properly. I'm, I'm, I've got a, I'm, I'm aiming toward beginning of 2023 for the surgery. Right. I should have all the. The doctor has put a, I know you we're going to talk about movies in a I minute. I swear we are. The doctor has put a number on a scale for me to hit. Yeah. He's like, "Look, fatty." That's what he said too. <laughs> Call me fatty. Hey, two tons of fun. Actually, he said, "Well, you know, people who are overweight." I said, "Call me fatty." <laughs> Boom, batty. <laughs> Overweight is retired in Boca. Call me fatty. Right. Um, he's like, you know, you got to weigh like more. You got to weigh less yeah. before I'll cut you open because I don't want there to be complications. And the cold hard truth is, you know. You don't want there to be complications. Y'all, y'all fatties in surgery. Sometimes it doesn't go your way. It's true. <laughs> and so, uh, meaning... Not y'all, I mean, you know, meaning you. all us, <laughs> we. <laughs> and so he's like, let's just be cautious. Let's just, let's get you, let's get you down the scale. I was like, fine. That's fine. <laughs> I'm fine. <laughs> I'll do it. And I'm so criminally out of shape that <laughs> I can't even finish this class. It's an hour-long class, and I have yet to get past minute 45. It's fine. 45 minutes in the pool, bouncing around, kicking, moving, jumping, walking, flipping. Yeah. You know. And and diving off the high board like Greg Louganis. <laughs> yeah, that's part of it. Well, that's what we do. Shh. That's what we do. <laughs> sure. Yes, of course. That part. We're doing that. Anyway, but yeah, the whole rest. There's of, no high board. The whole rest of the day, I'm just like, uh. Yeah, it it you, they they trick you. Mm. You do it at the end of the day, you'll go home and just sleep for 14 hours. Yeah. You do it in the morning, you want to go home and sleep for 14 hours, but you have to keep going with your day. Yeah, I don't get these people that go to the gym every day and then like go to work. <laughs> <laughs> well, what are you doing right now? I mean, you've I'm at work, work, but I'm, you've been working all day. Yeah, but I've been half asleep. <laughs> And I've heard voices. I, uh, normally we don't talk about dead people on the show. Ah. Because too many famous cinema people, they die all the time. It's true. But. And if we did that, it would be like a weekly or every other weekly kind of thing. But Godard died. Yes. Jean-Luc Godard. He died. He was 91 or 2, something Mm -hmm. like that. Uh... I recently watched a clip on YouTube of him on the Dick Cavett show in like 1971, 72. Oh, wow. Dick Cavett didn't seem to be a big fan. Really? Yeah, he seemed a little, he seemed like a little dismissive perhaps, or perhaps just out of his depth. I don't know. It was weird to, to hear him talk. 
and ask questions and say things. Well, I guess you're, you know, I guess you've revolutionized cinema. <laughs> I was like, dude, he did. That, that, that attitude about Godard and his films, it's amazing. Like Somebody mentioned, I was like, Twitter or something. They were talking about how... He and they, the, 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 the Cahier and the left bankers, they uh-huh. did it all. They did it. They, yes. they came in and they said, you know what? We want to do things uh, a little bit differently. Really? Yeah. Anyway, somebody told a story about how when when Every Man for Himself opened in Dallas, right? Apparently, and that's and that's what the film was that they were talking about. Oh, funny! Yeah, it, when it opened in Dallas, it, somebody said it was the only time at this theater that the entire audience asked for their money back. Really? Yes. And I'm like, well, I weep for Dallas, and I get to because I used to live there. I get to. I used to live there too. Um, I love. Uh, all those, you know, films in the 60s. Here's the thing about Godard. You have designers that will put something out on the runway and people will look at it and go, ugh, I, I could never wear that. What is that? Are you, are you kidding? Is this, uh, are right. you mocking me? What is this thing? Answer, yes, we are mocking you. And then... We, the fashion designers, as I am one now. Uh, as, as in a very non-Godardian film, The Devil Wears Prada, that thing goes through layers and it is reported upon and it is borrowed from and it influences other people. And then it becomes something that is palatable and popular and universally understood. Yep. And I think a lot of what Godard specifically, but the French New Wave in general, people might look at some of those films and be like, uh, I don't get it. But... The way the the way they would edit a movie, the way they would uh, the kind of POV they would present, the way they would, uh, you know, be introduce the idea of like metatextuality or whatever. Mm-hmm. All of that stuff has trickled into yes. your Tarantino's, your Saturday morning cartoons, your everything. Yeah. Uh, so you know you might not like it at the source, but believe me, it it, it did make its way into everything else. Correct. Well, you know, liking it at its source is also a distinct pleasure in life. Sure. Um, and I was a fan the whole way through. The first film of his I ever saw was Hail Mary. Really? Yep. It was 1980. What year did that come out? 84? Ish, yeah. Ish, that's that when right. I saw it. Hmm. And you'd never seen Breathless before that. I was nineteen, okay, and it had not, and did not have access to Breathless Fair enough. yet because home video was not fully, you know, sure. Uh, the home video had not become what it became right. in nineteen eighty four, and so our little video store from up, up the up the block from my parents' place. Um. They got it in. They got the, they got Hail Mary. They got Hail Mary. Wow! And I brought it home, and I was like, "Oh, well, I see why the religious people are mad <laughs> because they're not going to want to see. They're not going to get this." And that was my introduction to Godard. Wow! I did not see the earlier films until a few years later. Huh? Interesting. And of course, you know, I understood then. You know his. You know, the phases he went through. Sure. Uh, and the essay-style films of his, you know, his last work, mm-hmm. love him so much. Goodbye to Language is such a wonderful and, for him, upbeat <laughs> film. There's a great dog in it. <laughs> the wonderful dog. And, and, and he's also, like, having a total prank of, like, oh, yes, I have made a 3D oh, movie. Oh, yes, I've made a 3D movie. <laughs> Everybody come watch. Um, I, I only assume that every that most people start with Breathless just because it's the kind of film they show you in classes. Right, right. Which is probably where I saw it, and that was my introduction. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, no, I, I, I think he's he was just... Even even his later films, when I wasn't responding to them, and they were maybe even I found them a little annoying. I didn't want him doing anything else, right? You know, uh, I wanted him to to hang his particular freak flag as high as he wanted. Um, 
there is a ton of his work on Criterion Channel right now. Oh, yeah. So I would recommend to folks who... Weekend? They, if you have Weekend is Viva there. Savi. I don't have it all in front of me, but I'm going to say yes. Okay. Uh, the one that I really want to see that I started watching at one point and then uh, didn't get to finish is Made in USA, mm. uh, which is, uh, of all things, a- an adaptation of a Donald Westlake novel. Yeah. But, you know, Godard style. Well, we have three um, current films to discuss. Yes. I want to save Barbarian for the last. Oh, Not that's... because we're going to spoil it, but because I, well. We're not going to spoil it, but that said, the less you know, the better. So even us talking around the plot is more than you need to know before you see it. I would say that too. So yeah, so yeah. go see it. Don't listen to us if you haven't seen it yet. So we will, we'll save it for last. That way, if you haven't seen it all, you won't even have to. Uh, hear us describe the bare yeah, bones you plot. You can just turn it right off. How about that Woman King? Uh-huh. So, yeah, we haven't even talked about it because you went yesterday and I had already seen it. I would see it yesterday. Uh, so this is a historical drama set in the 19th century in Africa, the kingdom of Dahomey. Uh, Viola Davis stars as Naniska. She runs an all- woman fighting force yep. uh, that is part of part of the king's uh, one of the king's armies the king being played by uh, John Boyega um, we meet a young woman named uh, Nawi played by Tuso Mbedu who was on the Underground Railroad um, she is defiant against her parents trying to sort of you know like marry her off to a rich guy who's going to be horrible and so the father just dumps her at the palace and like not my problem. Right. Uh, and she winds up, you know, going through the training process to become part of the the the, the army that Naniska leads. Um, the woman who is training all of the new recruits is named Izogi. She's played by the great Lashana Lynch from No Time to Die. Um, and so the film is part like, you know, Every kind of World War II brash outsider learns to be part of a team and take orders, you know, kind of movie. Um, it's also about dealing with the effects of European slave trade on Africa at the time. How, uh, you know, the, some kingdoms were basically, you know, the way they would conquer their enemies is to not only imprison them, but also sell them off sell to them. the Europeans. Um, and, you know, Naniska is trying to move away from that and towards, you know, a more agrarian uh, economy. Um, and then also some, you know, surprising character reveals along the way yeah. regarding things, which for me, though, that stuff was a little borderline soapy, but, you know. Well, okay. The, to discuss this, there are, sort of two angles to talk about it. There is the, you know, historical fiction Mm -hmm. of it, uh, which has caused, you know, some viewer controversy. Yes. Um, If you saw a hashtag boycott woman thing trending on Twitter, that's where this is coming from. I am not a historian. Right. I don't know enough to know (laughs) what I should think about the liberties this film takes with historical accuracy. The arguments being made by the people who are against the film are basically that that Dahomey specifically was very much involved in the slave trade and and did indeed, you know, sell off captives from from other rival kingdoms. Yeah. Now, the, the way this film is set in the mid... Uh, 1800s places it at a time when you know you could say well because this is a work of historical fiction we are going to suggest that this all woman fighting you know uh, outfit they were actively trying to to stop the slave trade Mm -hmm. was there such a thing I don't know but historical epics, yes, for the from throughout the history of cinema, they do what they want, right, to make a good movie. 
Yes. And that is what is happening here. Print the legend. So, again, as I said, I'm not a historian. So I'm not smart enough or informed enough to have an opinion about whether or not any uh, narrative deviance from reality right. is taking place here. good or bad, whether it's harmful or helpful. Uh, all I know is that there hasn't been a movie about this from this perspective until now. Right. From a Hollywood studio. From right. a Hollywood studio. And that matters. As as a as a as a as a work of historical fiction as a big epic historical drama, it is very, very uh old fashioned filmmaking. It's the kind of movie that you would see the decades ago. Mm. You know. Uh big set pieces, big battle pieces, big emotional uh narratives of the individual people, you know, involved in the the larger the framework. Being, yeah. It's exciting. Mm-hmm. It is uh long <laughs> it takes its own time to get to that big climax and and, and well more than one i would say like there, and then there is more than one yeah um and so on that level i was thoroughly entertained also thoroughly entertained by the performances yes of obviously Viola Davis, who I think is incapable of not bringing her a game. Like I've, yeah. I, I've seen Viola Davis in some bad movies mm. where you're like, "Wow!" But Viola Davis is so good. <laughs> she is such a classic movie star mm-hmm. in that her face is always telling you things. Uh-huh. Like just she can hold a close up. Was... She can be in a scene next to somebody else who's ostensibly the middle of the scene, but you're still watching what Viola Davis is reacting there were to. Moments. When people in the scene were saying things that were absolute nonsense, and she didn't roll her eyes, but she rolled her eyes. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Sometimes to stare more intently. There's a, <laughs> there's a there's a there's a very detailed sort of nuanced, stern glare that she is capable of delivering on screen, and you know exactly what she's thinking. When she looks at you that way, um, because had she rolled her eyes at someone saying something that was, you know, cruel or terrible, or you know, from our perspective today, we understand it to be historically completely wrong and offensive, she just looked at them. Yeah, you know, uh, had she rolled her eyes, it would have been. Too much for the right. scene, yeah. you know. Yeah. She, she doesn't do the how to get away with a murder meme where she does the side eye. And, right, know. right. And so you you understand from her gestures her response to that, that action in the scene. You know what she's about to do next. Yeah. You know what the scene is really about because she's telling you with her face what the scene is about. Um, there are, I think, two central relationships that I thought were the most interesting. One is between Tuso Mbedu and Lashana Lynch, mm-hmm. the sort of mentor-mentee thing yeah. they have going on. And then Viola Davis, while at the same time being, you know, is running the show for this army, has a very close lieutenant uh, named Amenza, played by Sheila Atim, also from Underground Railroad. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, she's like the one person who can tell Naniska things right. that nobody else would dare. No one else Or they get the stare, you know. Right. Right. Uh, so, like, those two relationships I found most interesting. Uh, this is directed by Gina Prince-Bythewood. Yes. Who, at this point, I think has a really interestingly eclectic career. She's done romantic dramas. She's done a lot of different kinds of films. This is coming off of The Old Guard, which is a really great action movie. Mm-hmm. The one that she did for, for Netflix with, yeah. with Charlize Theron. And the... Action sequences here are all stunning. Mm-hmm. It, that the, the you know things really like pop. They come to life in this film. Uh, you know, so I I love the action stuff. I love the performances. 
I think the script is kind of hacky. Let's not hey say hacky. Let's say it leans toward the schematic at times. How yeah, about that? Yeah, okay. That's that's very because polite of you. Because there is... It is it is familiar in again, ways that is it's just... it's old-fashioned. Yes. And you know from the... Listen. From the moment... So, I'm not going to give away yeah, the details. No, I know. From I the know. moment someone does a thing and someone else reacts to the thing, my first thought was, oh... We're going to do this. That's, they're going to be, yeah. This is going to be what I think it's going to be. Yeah. And then it turned out because I've seen too many movies, <laughs> I was right. I, here's the thing, though. I, I and I, that's, it's fine. Look, it's, I, okay, but I think there's a distinction to be made here because okay. you're right. I think there is a, there is such a thing as sort of old fashioned storytelling, yeah. traditional narratives, that sort of thing. And I can imagine that if a studio is, already doing what they think is a gamble what we're gonna have a movie where like there are no white characters or almost no white characters uh-huh. and it's gonna be you know set in africa what a hollywood you know they ne- like they never even use it as a location much less think about that entire continent's history if you are selling a studio this project that they're going to be this skittish about then they're going to want the script to be as tame and traditional and you know appro- accessible approachable as possible and in fact, you know, the the interviews that the rap did at the Toronto Film Festival with Ms. Davis, she was like, oh yeah, this was not an easy, oh, bring me a Black Panther movie. This was like, we had to fight for this thing around every corner development, the whole thing. Mm. And so part of me feels like... No, I didn't know the, his, the production history yeah. at all. So yeah. part of me feels like somebody decided, well, if, if we're going to do this that we're we're unsure about because it doesn't resemble 20 other hit movies that we put out, then we're going to make sure that this script is has no surprises whatsoever. And, and I think that it does that occasionally to its detriment. I think in lieu of, you know, surprises, mm-hmm. I think what you really deliver for audiences is a big emotional sort of satisfaction. And, and, big emotional heartbreak. I'm not going to say what happens, but it happens. I, and so, but I'll, but I, I but I I was not heartbroken. Just ma- mm, ma- well, mainly because you're cold and dead inside. I'm not going to. How about no, that? Not true. Maybe I that's, think maybe I, that's what you are. I, I, this is one of those I, we 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 can't get into the spoilers of it. But the moment that you're talking about, yes, left me going. Wait, why would this happen, and why would that person be there and not like? It, to me, it wasn't it wasn't about the emotional thing at the moment. It was the this scene does not make sense to me, and I think and I thought there was a lot of that. And I think it's again it's the writing that is is the weak point of this film. Within, that is otherwise very entertaining, has a lot to offer. Within twenty minutes of watching it, within twenty minutes of sitting in the theater, I thought this is a film from nineteen fifty seven. In terms of delivering. These big beats, sure. These big, grand ideas, and 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 this character and this character are going to do this, and I was already moving them around the chessboard in connecting my own, the narrative dots in my own way, um, and I settled into that, and I'm good with that. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I I was just sort of left also thinking about what I liked and then what I did. I have been slow to get to know Lashana Lynch. Oh. She was in Doctor Strange. Yes. She was the Captain Marvel in in the in Multiverse of Madness. Yes, and in in the next uh, movie, I think we get. I hope we get more of her. The Mar the Marvels, I believe she's okay. In. And it, like you said, she's in No Time to Die. Um. Every time she was on screen, I was like, "Ooh, good, more of you," because her ability to bring uh, sort of a sly, reactive humor, yes, to the scenes she's in, did a lot to lighten the intensity. Mm. Um, and she also was just incredibly devoted to 
the women in her in her world. Yes. And so I was very, very much invested in her as a character throughout the film. Uh, and now after lots of British TV and two big <laughs> movies, now I know her name. Yes. <laughs> Which is a thing I love as a film goer. Yes. Is connecting those dots and being like, Oh wait! I saw you in that other in this thing. other thing, and I didn't know who you were, and I didn't know your name, and now I see you here, and now I will now remember your name. You are now on my radar, right? As someone I'm going to pay attention to because I think you're cool. Yeah, and I that, remember feeling that way yeah. about Tuso and Bede after uh, Underground Railroad, so which I'm, I haven't watched. I'm, yet. I'm glad she's in this this you know big yeah number one at the box office movie. So, uh. There is a there is a fascinating. I saw this at the AMC Grove mm-hmm. yesterday. There is a fascinating trailer for the Emmett Till movie. I saw that one, which is different than the one that I've seen. I've seen two trailers now yeah. for the Emmett Till film. One of them is a straightforward trailer, and mm-hmm. one of them is largely uh, talking head interviews with the folks who are in it and behind the camera, yeah. including the head of Orion Pictures. Like, I've never seen a trailer like this where they are laying groundwork and saying, here's why we did this movie. Here's what you're going to see. Here's what you're not, not going, going to see, see. Yes. which I think was really interesting as a, as, a, as a strategy to bring audiences in. Right. And I, and now I'm completely fascinated with, with seeing this film. Anyway, just a little aside. Yeah, there. no, that, I I thought that it's was interesting as well. It's called Till, and it comes out in October. Right, and yeah. I'm I'm assuming because it was attached to Woman King, this is the like, you know, we're talking to black audiences now, especially some of the details of what's in that trailer. Well, you know, and, primarily, I yeah. would say, yeah. I mean, although it depends on where you live, because the audience yesterday at the Grove was, you know, fully mixed, multiracial audience. Mm-hmm. Like everybody was there. Mm-hmm. And it was one fifteen on a Tuesday, mm-hmm. and it was not sparsely attended either. Wow. Like I was surprised. Like the, one of the reasons I love going <laughs> to the first show of the day <laughs> on a weekday. The hopes of having that the, theater, have the, have the place to myself. No, I didn't have the place to myself. There were everyone. There were a lot of people there. Cool. Surprising. Surprising. Like that. Well, good for Gina Prince Bythewood and for the actresses and yes. Okay, blonde. Oh boy. Uh, Andrew Dominic. Mm-hmm. Who has made some, you know, yeah, really cool films in the past. Why don't you talk about this? Okay, so this Explain is... Explain what it is and what happens. This is an adaptation of the novel by Joyce Carol Oates, yeah. which is, I guess, how we're going to be all, well, it's Marilyn, but is it? Maybe it isn't. It is Maybe a it's, fictionalized you know, approach to uh, her life. Yes, but, you know, a lot of the career and personal highlights that are touched upon you close to you know yeah you would you could be forgiven for thinking this is just a biopic right and and we're taking everything here really happened yeah and the film acts like everything in the movie really happened you know well it acts acts like the joyce carol oates novel was a a work of you know nonfiction. right Uh. i mean obviously it takes some flight of fancies flights of the fancy particularly involving Marilyn's pregnancies right um so yeah, so Honor Armas is acting the hell out of this movie uh, as you know we we see young Norma Jean growing up with uh, her her mentally ill mother played by uh, Julian Nicholson, uh, who is abusive and ultimately uh, institutionalized, and so uh, they send her off to an orphanage. Um, she becomes a model. She becomes an, a contract player at Fox after uh, being you know sexually assaulted on the casting couch by Daryl Zanuck. Um, and her career starts to take off and she becomes, you know, you know, this story, she becomes the goddess who we also had to destroy. Um, when I was talking to Christy about this, I said the, the, 
the necrophilia industrial complex of Marilyn Monroe has been going on since the day she died, basically. Right. And for some reason, this has become this American passion play that we keep telling over and over again about, you know, this woman who was like the most beautiful and the most beloved. And thus, of course, now we have to like we have to tear it down. We have to tear it all down. Um, and boy, do they tear it down in this movie in slow, painstaking detail. Yeah. Uh, I've heard this movie compared to Eraserhead, and they're not wrong. Explain what people mean by that when they say that. Because Eraserhead is a movie where, you know, things start bad and they just get worse. It is a nightmare of domesticity. Yes. And this film is a nightmare of... Celebrity. Celebrity. Yeah. Um, And so, again, the Armistice performance is... She definitely does the thing that I always look for in a biopic and so rarely get, which is at some point I stop seeing the performer the and I just see the subject. Yeah. She does disappear into being Marilyn Monroe, yeah. which is no easy feat, and and does some very eerily close recreations of famous moments from the song that she sings in Niagara to the Diamonds Are a Girl's Best Friend number in Gentlemen for Blondes to just individual photographs that you've seen, you know, where she's yeah. wearing a black turtleneck and sitting on a sofa or standing in a field with Arthur Miller or whatever. Um, yeah. I, 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 this movie is torture to sit through. And if, if it were aesthetically fulfilling, then that would be fine. That would be that was the filmmaker's intent. This is what he wanted. He wants you to experience the degradation, the the you know all the stuff that that this woman had to endure in her life. But it just gets repetitive, and it starts just feeling like an exercise in sadism. For me, the moments that landed the hardest were the ones where, rather than being rather than the moments of like physical abuse which occur, yeah, just the moments of condescension, like. She meets Arthur Miller. He sees her perform in a class at the actor's studio. They go out for coffee and they start talking about this role. She's ta- she starts talking about like Dostoevsky and, and you know, uh, uh, Chekhov and stuff. And he's just kind of like, uh-huh, oh, really? You know, little girl about these things? Mm-hmm. And then she offers a revelation about this character who's based on somebody from his life. And it blows him away because mm-hmm. she has genuine insight and is a smart person and a talented actress. Right. And it's like so much of the movie is people just giving her the side eye and thinking, yeah, whatever, pretty lady, go stand over there and, you know, have the spotlight on you. Right. So that part of it I really liked and responded to. And I can see Joyce Carol Oates wanting to talk about that stuff, you know. But so much of the, the, the you know, do you remember on in the 80s on Saturday Night Live? when Mary Gross did a recreation of the Diamonds number, but it was Downers or a Girl's Best Friend. No. And she talked, it was it was all referencing like the magazines that would come out with the memorial stuff and the Norman Mailer book that had just come out and the Arthur Miller's, you know, after the fall. Like there's been just this entire sub-industry of Marilyn dissection over right. the decades. And yeah. this was 40 years ago. And yeah. we're still doing it. Right. And you've really got to bring something new to the table to say anything new about this woman's awful life and how it fits into post-war America's, you know, general sexism and misogyny and the horrors of the studio system and all of that stuff. And I don't think it does. I appreciated, because I think Andrew Dominic is a good filmmaker, mm-hmm. I appreciated... The formal design of it, yeah. where even though it did erratically jump back and forth between color and black and white for no apparent reason. Yeah, I tried to um, come up with a through line for that yeah. one, and it, it still eludes me. But the way her off-screen life was mirrored through those, you know, iconic images and, you know, films and, you know, photographs and seeing her on a screen and she's watching herself on a screen... I liked that. Yeah. I liked the idea of a person who is outside of themselves because they have been blown up into something hugely 
so so much bigger than they can even comprehend themselves. Yeah, she re- it's a recurring thing that she refers to Marilyn as this sort of third person. Right. That she's Norma Jean, and she will she can be turned into Marilyn, she can become Marilyn, but she is not Marilyn. And I appreciated the, the, the way the film displayed that. Yeah. Okay. But... <laughs> Wait, let me go on to more things that are good. <laughs> Her performance is so... Raw and open and vulnerable. Yes. That you can't fault her for going for it. Yeah. Because she does and she accomplishes that. Yeah. It's not just the impersonation that she's doing that's so extraordinary. It is absolutely, you're right. She is, she is, it's without a net. But there is an emphasis on suffering from start to finish. Yeah. That grinds you into dust by the time you're finished watching. There are few moments where she isn't near tears or being abused or actually crying or suffering in some... Or bleeding. Or, or bleeding, yeah. Or, you know, there's something bad is happening happening to her most of the time yeah. in this movie. Um, and sure, yes, Marilyn Monroe had troubles... In her life. She died when she was 36. Yeah? I think so. A lot of stuff happened to her. And she didn't, you know, uh, uh, survive it. Ultimately. But I think, like you said, for the moment she died, history simultaneously deifies her and diminishes her. And I hate that so much. <laughs> like, it didn't... It didn't occur to me to begin thinking about her in any different way until 20 years ago. Because up until 20 years ago, I had only seen Some Like It Hot. Mm. I hadn't seen other films with her. But then I saw All About Eve, you know. And then I saw Gentlemen Prefer Blondes. And then I saw more, and... The, the, the posters and the tragedy and the, the way people talk about her, the Elton John songs, <laughs> you know, everything... The line between a person experiencing tragedy in their life Mm -hmm. and then that line where you cross it, where it crosses into exploitation. And I think this film is exploitation. Yeah. And I think the way we consider her in public life is grounded in exploitation. Yeah. I think that we don't look at her as an artist. I don't think we look at her as a, an intelligent, competent human being. Um, I watch Gentlemen Prefer Blondes at least once a year. At least. At least. Sometimes more than that. Yeah. I can't get enough of it. And everything about her that you need to know <laughs> is in that film. Because she's giving you the thing that people think about her. And the entire time she's doing it, she's looking at you and saying, but I know better. Yeah. I know better. I know what I'm doing and I know the effect it has on you. I found it particularly galling while watching this film that that moment where she experiences herself, you know, viewing that film. Mm Mm-hmm. And, you know, who knows? In real life, maybe she looked at Gentlemen Prefer Blondes and thought, it wasn't worth it. The suffering that happened to me, you know, the things that I went through in the course of the year that this was being made and then promoted or whatever, I should have done something else. I wish my life had gone in a different direction. I would have given up this film to have my life be better in some way. Maybe she did think that kind of thing. But I think the film thinks that too. I think the film doesn't give her the credit she deserves. 
Yeah. And she deserves this credit. She deserves credit for being what she was, which was capable and competent and making artistic choices that mattered and that became legendary. Yeah. She wasn't just plopped down into something to be pretty. Yeah. She was funny. Yeah. She was really funny. And 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 it's it endures. It's not even a, it's not even a kind of humor that you can place in a specific time and say oh well, well for the era. Yeah. For the era. This is an all-timer and I don't think she ever gets that. And this movie didn't give it to her. Certainly not. I think this movie is more interested in the suffering than in the artist. And, you know, you could do both, but the movie could care less about the art in, in, in a lot of ways, which, you know, I think, frankly, Dominic's The Assassination of Jesse James by the Coward Robert Ford is a better movie about the toxic nature of celebrity. Yeah. You know, and it makes its points without just grinding them into you. You know, like there, I was, I was starting to, I was reminded of those Cecil B. DeMille Bible epics mm -hmm. where, you know, the evil people have orgies that go on and on and on before they get smote or whatever. Right. And it's like, and DeMille's like, aren't these terrible? Let's watch some more of this yeah. awful thing. Is You know, which is such a huckster move of like, you know, titillating, but at the same time, like reminding you how bad this is. Uh, this movie is, is reveling in the misery of Marilyn Monroe and also wanting to tell you, oh, isn't it tragic? Yeah. So it's in Los Angeles. It's in New York now. Uh, it, it's in New York now. It's opening uh, in Los Angeles Friday and then... And then goes to Netflix. On, on September 30th. Right. Correct. If you got three hours and you want to feel bad, Woo. it's coming your way. Well, if you'd like to spend your time with uh, something different and perhaps better... Uh, may we recommend our good friends at Ovid. Um, right now they are streaming uh, two landmark films about uh, the lives of trans people. Uh, the documentary The Salt Mines from 1990, directed by Carlos Aparicio and Susana Aiken, and then Aparicio and Aiken's uh, follow-up film from 1995, The Transformation, um, which follows uh, one of the subjects of the previous film, um, as she uh, deals with uh, being HIV positive and accepting help from a group of born-again Christians. Oh. Yeah. No, I have not seen either of these films. I have not either, and I need to. So uh, we're very pumped to have uh, Ovid joining us uh, once again as a sponsor. They generally are a, you know, a, a streaming service that carries all kinds of really terrific uh, art house films, foreign films, documentaries, shorts, um, and you know it, it's a, it's a wonderful selection uh, of, of you know global cinema's finest. You have been Mister Outfest for so long. Mm -hmm. I mean, you don't work for them anymore, but you did for a long time. Yes. And the amount of queer cinema that has come through this home, you <laughs> know, uh, in, in 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 you know screeners and stuff, the you know, programming uh, the film festival. Yes. You'd think I would have seen these two films by now. <laughs> <laughs> well, this was these are these are from like the nineties. So, I understand. Yeah, I, I know. And you, I, you know, given that I have a foot in sort of the historical, the history world, of queer cinema, yeah. you and I are pretty well versed. And I haven't seen these two. Yeah, yeah. So, I'm, it, 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 so always room to learn. I'm thrilled <laughs> that uh, Ovid found these and put them on a streaming platform because it's stuff like this that gets lost. And now it's not. Yes. It's very exciting. And if you are a new subscriber to Ovid, and they're at OV as in Victor, ID as in David, dot TV, uh, use the offer code SEPT, that's S-E-P-T, like short for September, uh, for 50% off your first year of Ovid.tv. And does that offer end at the end of September? I believe Seems it like it, right? Yes. If that's the code. Yes. <laughs> well, get on it then, y'all. Exactly. Do it. Time is ticking. Get your oven. We're going to get ours. I mean, we, we already, we, we already have ours. <laughs> but like, you know what I mean? Yes. <laughs> we got some movies to watch. Okay. Barbarian. 
Oh, yes. Barbarian is a film by Zach Kreger. Yes. Is this his first film? It is. He had co-directed a comedy feature before this. He's best known as a member of the comedy troupe The Whitest Kids You Know. Okay. Uh, but this is his first solo directorial effort and his first horror film. And again, if you haven't seen Barbarian yet, stop listening now because we're not going to spoil anything. But the more tabula rasa you can be, the better time you'll have. We are not as you said, going to spoil anything. But here are the bare bones of the plot. Yes. Georgina Campbell stars as a woman comes to Detroit for a job interview. She books herself into an Airbnb. When she gets there in the middle of the night and it's raining, she wakes up the guy who already booked the Airbnb. Yes. Played by Bill Skarsgård. You don't want to see Pennywise in the middle of the night in your Airbnb. And they are both confused. Yes. They do not understand why they have both been booked into the same Airbnb. And that's all I'm going to tell you. (laughs) Other than Justin Long shows up about midway through the movie. Yes. In a way that you are also not expecting. Indeed. I know I'm leaving dead air here, but I don't know what to say next. <laughs> I know. I because think we just jump right to, to opinions here. I, it's yeah. incredible. Yes. I, when the movie was over, you and I went. Uh, Gary was with us Saturday mm-hmm. afternoon. Yes. And I turned to both of y'all. The first thing out of Gary's mouth after the credits were done was like, that was good. <laughs> and I turned to both of y'all and I said, that ish was effed up. <laughs> Uh, did I and it, it 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 is did I yell out loud a couple of times you did I, I you and Gary have. both did yes you both uh, yelled more than once uh, not because of a jump scare even no 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 no, no there no. was a jump scare early on that made me go oh hmm. um it, and, and it was you were the king of seeing jump scares coming and it wasn't a cheap one either no no um this yeah this movie but y'all y'all <laughs> Y'all, y'all, y'all shout it out loud when you when you go to these kinds of things. <laughs> and and it was fun. it was a it was a pretty full audience again. Uh, and other people I think also were at that level of engagement. They, they so were. <laughs> I felt good about that. They were. Uh, Craiger is in this movie very good at zagging. Every time you think you have some idea of what's going to happen, what we're about to see, what. How are characters going to respond? Because to the film has zigged in that direction. Exactly. Here comes the zag. Zag. <laughs> zag. I found myself surprised several times. Yeah. And if you are a horror movie and you can surprise me once, I will take you to my heart. I don't even care. I heard someone complain about how they think the script is messy in the last, like, 20 minutes. Oh, blah, blah. And I thought to myself, you know what? I don't care. Yeah. Because, because sure, maybe you're right, technically. There's one laws of physics there's... movie you could pa- parse if you felt like it, but who cares? But the, it is... The movie has earned it at that point. It is such a jolting, unexpected, again, effed up content warning... Maybe you want to know beforehand what nasty stuff is going to happen in this movie and what terrible things people do to each other. You can go look that up if you like. Yes. Uh, and but, you might want to if you if you are sensitive to, sure. uh, you know, human degradation and, and murder and killing. And, to the yeah. film's credit, however, yeah. most of that is implied. It, it's all implied. Yeah. Like you don't see you, it. You don't. Really, you don't see much yeah. of anything at all. Like there's a moment. Well, I'm, gonna say, I'm not even gonna give that no, away. No, don't even give that no. away because I know what moment you're talking yes. about. But I'm just saying it is it the, where the guy sees the other person. Yes. Yes. yes yeah. Yeah. Oh no, no. No. I didn't mean that. I meant across the way. No. No. Oh. Oh. Else. A whole different thing. But anyway, <laughs> in addition to zagging, the other thing Craiger is very good at is giving you just enough information for you to fill in the blanks and be like, oh. And that's also a, a great talent for a horror filmmaker to have. Yeah. Yes. Um, along with Black Phone, 
And I think this is better than Black this Phone. This is better than Black and Phone. I again. really dig Black Phone. Along with Black Phone, this is now my favorite horror movie yeah. so far this year. Uh, there are two great horror films out right now. There's this one, and there is Pearl, and we're going to talk about I Pearl. I haven't seen Pearl yet, but I'm going to go. Because Dave's going to go see I'm it. I'm going to go see it this week. Um, yeah, this this will shake you up. Mm-hmm. That's all I'm going to say. Yeah, yeah. We're just gonna we're just gonna say go see it, and then you know down the road maybe we'll circle back and get in the spoilers. For now, we have letters, but first, we have a Patreon at patreoncom knife. Yes. More shows like this, LKTV, a podcast of the television on Linoleum Knife presents more Linoleum Knife, which is a twenty to thirty dive, twenty to thirty minute dive into a single. Film, yep. um, Linoleum Knife and Fork, a food podcast hosted by two film critics, Linoleum Nights, which is kind of a dealer's choice where we just talk about whatever, but we record it live on Facebook if you want to see us do that. And there are some swears in that one, which there are not in the other shows. Um, monthly club meetings and other fun opportunities. So yeah, check it out if you're interested. If you like this and want more of this, then this is what we've got at linoleum at uh, patreon.com slash linoleum knife. Letters. Katie says, Hi, LK. I wanted to share a fun film effort my husband and I undertook this month, watching all of the A Star is Born movies in chronological order. Hmm. We watched one every Sunday, and it was such a neat opportunity to compare and contrast them in fairly short order. We did this a couple of years ago with not quite as compressed a timeline with all the little women's. Hmm. <laughs> Except for the June Allison 50s one. Still need to get to that. Ooh, I love that one. <laughs> it's worth it for Elizabeth Taylor. And loved that experience too. Do you have any ideas for other movies that have had continual remakes and versions that are all or mostly worth watching that we could structure like this? We're thinking about doing a selection of Macbeth adaptations for February. Also, please knife my ranking for The Stars The stars Are Born. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> 1954, number one, the classic Judy Garland is amazing. That is correct. That is absolutely number one. I will accept no substitutes. 2018 genuinely surprised me. I didn't have terribly high expectations, but I think it might be the best narrative of the bunch. Um, yeah. It is certainly the most thorough Yeah. in terms of all the narrative beats and, and, and ideas that it wants to communicate and giving you what it wants to tell you. Agreed. Yeah. Um, 1937. Mm-hmm. Great, but no singing loses one star for that. <laughs> 1976. <laughs> I mean, I loved watching it. Sure. But is it good? Uh, bonus points for the house building montage and Babs's wardrobe. Oh, yeah. From, from her, her own closet. closet. That's right. Uh, and you could, if you felt like it, circle back and watch uh, What Price Hollywood. Yeah, which is, which is ostensibly the film really yeah. where the whole thing starts. Yeah. We did a whole episode about all those movies. Uh, back when, are there any bunches of movies that that they should... I can't think, because Little Women would have been my go-to for that yeah. one. Uh, yeah, I don't really... The, the continuous remakes. I mean, other than A Christmas Carol. Oh, well, like, that's true. Yes. You know, Yes. Why did I think of that? Absolutely. You could totally, I mean, you know, you could spend the December, unless you're a lunatic like me. You could spend every day of December watching a different Christmas yeah, carol. It is apparently yeah. the most adapted work of literature in the English language uh, to film. So, yeah, uh, go for it. There's plenty of them waiting for you, and a lot of them are good. Um, that letter was actually from January, and it got it, it sunk way down really? in, the, in the queue. Yes. Oh, wow. And so then Katie sent us a follow-up letter. On a recent episode, you mentioned that you might have missed some emails, and I think this was one of them from back in January. Okay. Uh, here are my personal Macbeth rank. Oh, that's why she said February, because yes. it was... Okay, now I get it. Uh, here, 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 they have ranked their they Macbeths. They did their Macbeths, okay. Uh, the 2015 uh, uh I love the moody atmosphere, and Marion Cotillard is undisputed. As the last, as the best Lady Macbeth. That's the number one. Mm-hmm. Uh huh. Nineteen fifty-seven, Throne of Blood. Yes. Okay, it's kind of a cheat. 
No. It's not a straight Macbeth adaptation, but what an outstanding movie. Yeah. Also, The Final Fight is truly spectacular. Ty, 1971, Polan- mm. Polanski, yep. 1948, Wells. Both too much <laughs> in different directions for my taste. Polanski's is so visually loud and so completist, it ended up feeling overwhelming to me and not in a good way. Mm. Wells is so stripped down and minimalistic that it ends up feeling like half a thing. 2022, the Cohen version, it didn't work for me. It was the last one we watched. I think it was so steeped in Macbeth. I was so steeped in Macbeth at that point that all its weaknesses felt impossible to ignore. I don't think Frances McDormand is compelling as Lady Macbeth. And the Macbeth legacy, and the, and the Macbeth considering his legacy, old man take just didn't quite work for me. Yeah, I could see where that movie would be. I mean, I, I didn't love it, and I could see where if, if I were coming at it fresh off of a bunch of other Macbeths, so I was really steeped in the text at that point, I would notice what was missing and what was, you know, what some of the angles that Joel Cohen was taking for that one. Yeah. But, oh, man, that 2015 Macbeth is, I am not a fan. I'm sorry. I mean, Marion Cotillard is good. I don't know that I would call her my favorite, but although... I guess there's really not a singular cinematic Lady Macbeth that sticks in the way that we have like, you know, a Blanche Dubois or, you know, a sort of other kind of iconic stage roles that, you know, every every actress when they reach a certain age kind of has to play. You know, it's sort of like how men all play Hamlet, Macbeth and Lear and women all play, you know, Laura Wingfield, Blanche Dubois and, and Lady Macbeth. Um yeah, not a fan of the 2015 one, but otherwise, I think those are all good calls. I like the plans given more than you do, but I, I your criticisms are, are well-informed. Uh, absolutely 100% on the uh, Star is Born ranking. I think you nailed it. Christopher says, I know that it's cliched to describe the people who run major media companies as coldly, solely driven by the bottom line. Mm-hmm. But this Warner Brothers Discovery merger news somehow still feels like a gross betrayal Mm. to the casts and crews they employed, at least, if not to audiences. I wasn't necessarily excited at the prospect of yet another superhero film. However, I think about Batgirl being canceled as a tax write-off due to poor projected earnings and can only think that so many of the movies that I love either failed to earn back or only barely earned back their budgets. True. It's also hard to ignore that among the first major projects axed under the regime of new CEO David Zaslav, I don't know how to say his last name, is one starring a Latinx woman. Meanwhile, all six board seats afforded to Zaslav and 13 of his recent appointments to department leadership positions immediately below him have all been two white men. Yep. CEO David Zaslav built a reputation at Discovery, where he was made CEO in 2006, as favoring cheap, unscripted content, a direction that he appears to be taking Warner Brother Discovery in at the expense of so many of the planned projects that are now being scrapped. Frankly, given that modern reality television is all so very similar, I'm surprised that someone so driven by profit as him hasn't come to the realization that the most cost-effective strategy would be to reduce the number of unscripted shows by folding those basically the same into fewer productions. I would argue that you could really just consolidate all reality TV into five shows. (laughs) Rich people not working. (laughs) Houses are expensive. Food you can't eat. Dumb hot people not having sex, not seeing ghosts with night vision. (laughs) If this sounds bitter, it is because I am concerned about what Zaslav's motives may be for Turner Classic Movies. Now that it falls under his purview, I worry that one day I will tune in to find out that the the network has been replaced by a new unscripted show. Of all the TCMOs living together and arguing over whose turn it is to do the dishes. Okay, I would watch that show, but... I mean, yeah. yeah. No, you're right. And I'll tell you, I was even more angry about the Batgirl thing this week because I found out that it's also a Christmas movie. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, that was a, a little a leak. stunt that coordinator showed week, a yeah. clip and it was like, ah. Yeah, this whole thing bodes very badly. Um, the, the, yeah, this Zaslav guy seems like just... 
you know the worst. He seems like the Danny DeVito character in Other People's Money. Do you remember that movie? Uh, <laughs> Where he's like a corporate yeah. raider who just kind of comes in and buys companies, strips them for parts, and destroys yeah. them. Yeah. And I, I wish I had the name in front of me. If you do a little searching on Twitter, you can find it. Somebody wrote a really brilliant and lengthy thread about the Paramount Accords. Which was the legal ruling in the middle of the 20th century that basically said that studios could not make movies and distribute them and own the movie theaters, that that was considered a monopoly. Um, and then a couple of years ago, apparently they just decided to get rid of that because it was somehow outmoded. And so now that you have every studio with its own streaming platform, we're back to this pipeline of vertical integration and... That now allows people like this guy to come in and suddenly just do these cost-cutting measures, even if it means, you know, uh, uh, ending lengthy relationships that people have had with the studio, you know, canning existing finished product before it ever gets yep. out to the, to the public, taking streaming titles and disappearing them from the service, never releasing them on physical media, like just... Yeah, you are right to be concerned. It's all terrible, and uh, I'm not happy about it. I hate it. Thanks, I hate it. You know what I don't hate? What's that? You, you're nice. No, oh, thanks. I mean, I I married you for a variety of reasons. You being nice is not one of them. I was going to say, <laughs> hate to break it to you. But you're generally nice to me. Okay. I mean, most of the time. You should never be not nice to me again. Well, always you, be great. To you me. know, you know what you did. <laughs> uh, this is the end of this podcast. It is for this uh, for for now. Yes, as as the late Jean Luc Godard would say, "Fin du film, fin du cinéma." <laughs> uh, thanks for listening, everybody. Please check out the other podcasts that I uh, appear on Maximum Film on the Maximum Fun Network. Uh, Breakfast All Day on YouTube and in the podcast universe and Deck the Hallmark on YouTube and in the podcast universe. Uh, currently, I'm going on Deck the Hallmark Mondays to talk about uh, 2021 titles that we didn't get to last year that are now available on various streaming services like Peacock, BET Plus and others. Um, you can follow us on the social media at Linoleum Cast. You can subscribe to the show at Apple Podcasts. Leave us a five-star review. We will read it on the air. Where you, can people find you on the social media? Uh, I'm at A. Duralde, A-D-U-R-A-L-D-E, and you are at D. Leland White. Uh, also, we're Linoleum, well, I said Linoleum Cast on, I on bar Instagram. I barely tweet. It's true, you do. But I do Instagram. You do. With some regularity. And if you're a fan of uh, our, Maybe I'll start tweeting again. Maybe I'll just I'll, no, maybe, maybe I'll say all my brilliantly you will not. insightful and funny no, stuff. No, because you'll do it and then people start following you and you'll be like, "Ew, no, what happened?" <laughs> I want fewer followers on Twitter. If you are a fan of our <laughs> holiday decor, you can also follow us on Instagram at dxas. That's coming soon. Yeah, yeah. You know, you've got several years worth to catch up on if you haven't seen it. Um. There was something else. Oh, yeah. Uh, you can also leave us positive feedback in the many places that we stream, including um, Stitcher Radio and Spotify, um, Amazon Music, Google Play, CastBox, and Podbean. Thank you. Thank you, Blue, for our wonderful theme music. Uh, go see what he's up to over at bleu.bandcamp.com and you can drop us a line with um, lists of uh, movies you've seen or uh, other comments and suggestions at linoleumpodcast at gmail.com uh, we'll be back next time with more until then goodbye <laughs>